So understanding the supply and demand equation, where are the jobs likely to be? What are the growth industries? Who are the companies within those growth industries that are going places? What I've found is that generally speaking, the companies that are, uh, are either growing or in trouble are the places to be. Because if a company's in trouble, chances are you'll get, you might get the opportunity to go in there and do jobs that were beyond your capacity in your previous company because they're looking for someone who will shake things up. Yes. Whereas the growth and the growth companies will offer you opportunities because because of their natural growth. Hi, I'm Renata Bernardi and this is the Job Hunting Podcast where I interview experts and professionals and discuss issues that are important for job hunters and those who are working to advance their careers. So make sure that you subscribe and follow, and let's dive right in. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Job Hunting Podcast. But before we get this episode going, I want to talk to you about Reset Your Career, which is a program that kickstarts with a workshop next week, the 27th of October from 9am to 1pm. And you still have time to register. And even if you're listening to this podcast after the 27th of October, go to my website because everything that will be happening on that workshop will be later available on a very special online platform. And it will be like doing a mini course with me. COVID, the pandemic, working from home, remote work, leading projects and people from home is not going to go away. There are lots of different things that we need to learn to make ourselves more employable, more interesting and more confident as a job candidate going into recruitment and selection in the next weeks, months ahead. And I am here to help you. And guess what? The Slade Group is collaborating with me on this project. So we will have a recruiters panel. We have Jeff Slade participating um, and welcoming everybody at the beginning of the workshop. And he is our guest today. So there's a reason why we saved this conversation for the launch of Reset Your Career. Um, Jeff Slade is the executive chairman of the Slade Group, Transearch Australia International, Yellow Folder Research and Interchange Bench. So these are several different parts of the Slade portfolio. And if you want to understand a little bit more about what each of them do, listen to the episode with the executive director of the Slade Group, Anita Zima. I will put a link in the episode show notes below. I've also interviewed the managing director of Yellow Folder a few weeks ago. I will put the link to that in the um, episode show notes as well. Jeff has trained and mentored a lot of the recruiters and headhunters around Australia, people that are now based in other cities and have, you know, worked with him in the past, see him as a mentor and a, and a really great um, part of their um, development as professionals in this recruitment world. And I've known him to be a very generous person um, and very good to me as I'm developing this uh, project and um, very interested in the work that I that I do. So I 
I'm delighted that the Slate Group is supportive of the Reset Your Career Workshop and willing to participate and share with their candidates the knowledge that they're getting on the ground during this pandemic, operating with their clients, the employers in this pandemic. And now the job candidates can have some of that information as well. We, of course, discuss getting jobs, candidates, what they need to do to be more effective, to be more successful. And I hope that you enjoy the advice and tips and ideas that Jeff shares so uh, willingly on this podcast. So without further ado, let's listen to Jeff Slade. And please check my website, renatabernardi.com. There is a link to it on the episode show notes. And consider registering for Reset Your Career. It will be a great workshop. It will be an online platform for you to keep for life. And I can't wait to give you access to it. Bye for now. Good afternoon. Hi, Renata. Hello there. All right. So today for the podcast, let's talk mm -hmm. about you, your career, and then talk about everyone else's careers. <laughs> What do you think? Happy to do that. Okay. I got, your, I got your note. Thank you. The other thing that I, I wanted to discuss with you is this massive scale of recruitment that used to happen in the 80s and 90s when, you know, you, we probably had a lot of manufacturing happening in Australia. Do you still see that today or have we moved into a, a service um Economy. type society and those sort of massive uh, recruitment drives don't happen as much. I'm talking pre-COVID. Let's talk about yeah. up to 2019, right? Yes, uh, you're absolutely uh, spot on. The, the manufacturing sector doesn't do that sort of recruitment anymore or very rarely. Where it does happen occasionally is in financial services, but that's about the, the uh, you know, the strength of it. Mm -hmm. Um but you don't see it in the, the sorts of quantities or numbers that we saw in those years. Yes, yes. And that, I remember, if I could just, uh, Renata, if I can just say, I had a standing brief with the Managing Director of Pacific Dunlop, who um, once he gained trust in me and my objectivity in terms of being able to bring good people to their organisation, he would hire because they were rapidly growing, he would hire about eight out of every 10 people I would show him. And I used to have people from the MBA school at Melbourne University almost lining up at my door wanting to get into Pacific Dunlop because mm -hmm. it had such a great reputation for the way mm -hmm. it looked after its people. Yep. No, I, I, I think that, that the idea also of um, coming into an organization as a, um, a junior um, member of the team as a graduate coming in it's so good when that organization has teams and projects and um, things yeah. that you do as opposed to you know the big four in in Melbourne there's this tradition that you are going to graduate from university and everybody wants to work for either KPMG or EY or PWC and that's great and these are great organizations to work for But I would often challenge my students when I was at Monash University and say, 
apply for calls. <laughs> they have a great graduate program. Apply for a program at Centrelink. You really want to get your hands dirty when you're young and you really want to, you know, have actually people issue to worry about, you know, big, large scale, enterprise-wide projects that you have to implement, real exactly. people that you have to manage. It's such a different um experience isn't it as opposed to going into consulting from a very young age and not actually having that lived experience of managing teams yeah it's it's very different mm. and it's unfortunate that we don't have that anymore yes or in not very many cases anyway so what is it that we have now so for um people who are in their let's say 30s and 40s in a country like Australia, where there's very little manufacturing happening, they've graduated from business schools, engineering schools, IT uh, degrees. What is the bulk of the work that's available to um, professionals these days? Well, it's primarily in service industries. But what's changed is that you could join a company like Pacific Dunlop in the 80s and 90s. And they would manage your career for you. You know, I, I had uh, two or three people that I recruited as 25 to 27-year-olds who ended up as group managing directors of Pacific Dunlop. Now, their careers were managed well and truly. They were offered opportunities that you just wouldn't see happen today. Uh, today, you have to manage your own career. And that's why you see so much change. So pe people, when, when I first started out, if you hadn't worked for a company for 20 years, you were regarded as unstable and they would never hire you if you'd changed jobs or changed companies and jobs every two or three years. Mm -hmm. Today, if you haven't changed jobs every two or three years, they don't want to know you. Yes. So you do have to manage your own career. And I think a lot of people still don't recognise that, particularly those who are being displaced in their late 30s and mid-40s and maybe even 50s. I see people every day who, um, in their 50s, will be lucky to see another job. Okay. And it's very difficult for them. And the biggest problem is they don't know how to go about finding a job. And that's where people like you come in. Yes. You know, with, with the service that you provide... Uh, in terms of uh, how do you find another job and how do, how do you understand what the market looks like? How do you understand how to position yourself in the market? Most people who've worked in one company for 10 or 15 years have got no idea about any of that. Yes. And it seems like we are in a state of flux right now, right? So this has been happening... Yeah. I wouldn't say slowly, it's, it's happening quite fast, where the tenure of CEOs is now very short, it's less than five years in Australia. And that has a flow on effect, because changing leadership usually means restructures of organizations. And that leads to people coming in and out of organizations and having, you know, those redundancies happening to adjust to new styles. Um, but we come from people in their 40s come from a generation where they still would expect to be taken care of by their employers and they're still learning 
that they need to be their own agents. So they uh, they're not actually taking the proactive steps uh, or have the, 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 the tools and the skills to um, present themselves as agents of their own career and their own professional um, abilities future. and their skills. future. Yes. Yeah. What does that mean for the brokers? Because it must be an enormous amount of work or a, a challenge for you when your client is the employer and you have a lot of candidates that are not really aware of how the recruitment and selection process works. What do you feel are the gaps that somebody like me can can help and support um, my clients, the job candidates with? Well, I think it's largely about education. You know, the sorts of things that I think uh, most people don't understand is the supply and demand equation. You know, where are the jobs ha actually happening? And if you've been in an industry that's largely been latent for five, 10, 15 years, your ability to get out of that job and into something that's a real growth opportunity is going to be very difficult. So you need to recognize that reasonably early, that you're in, a, in an industry or a company. I mean, I was very fortunate that I got into an industry that was really in its infancy when I started. And I was able to ride that growth curve um, for, for, for the last 50 years. Um, but not many people, and, and circumstances, circumstances can often dictate this. I mean, I was young, I was single, I was prepared to work whatever was needed to, to be successful. And if you're stuck in a, um, you know, in your mid-30s with a marriage and two or three kids, you've got to educate, um, put food on the table every night, um, it's not that easy. Mm -hmm. And it's not that, you know, it, you're not inclined to take risks which is very understandable. Yeah. Um, but sometimes you do have to take risks or the risk will be taken for you. Mm. And I don't think most people understand that, you know, if you don't look after yourself, someone else might dictate what you're going to be doing next year or the year after for you. Yeah. So understanding the supply and demand equation, where are the jobs likely to be? What are the growth industries? Who are the companies within those growth industries that are, going places, what I've found is that, generally speaking, the companies that are, uh, are either growing or in trouble are the places to be. Because <laughs> if a company's in trouble, chances are you'll get, you might get the opportunity to go in there and do jobs that were beyond your capacity in your previous company because they're looking for someone who will shake things up. Yes. Whereas the and the growth companies will offer you opportunities because, because of their natural growth. So that's one thing. I don't think enough people understand the, uh, again, I'll refer back to the Pacific Dunlop days. Philip Brass, who was the managing director in those days, said to me when, he was, when I was presenting him with, you know, uh, the best young people I could find out of business schools, et cetera, Jeff, he said, I need you to make sure that they're capable of, that they're intelligent, they're capable of thinking, But to me, 
the way they communicate, the way they present themselves is just as important as their intelligence. Because in the end, you know, Pac Dunn were a, mis- a manufacturing business right across the various industries they're in. We are selling things all the time. And I think this is one of the other big issues for a lot of people coming into the into industry these days is they don't understand that they have to sell themselves. And they have to sell themselves to people like me as a recruitment consultant. And if I don't believe what they have to say, if they're not authentic, if they don't ask the right questions, how can I represent them truly to my the people who are paying me a fee to find people? Yes. So not only do they have to sell themselves to me, they have to then be able to sell themselves to the, the ultimate client who's going to employ them. And I don't think they get it, a lot of them. And things like um, communication skills, assertiveness, self-belief, doing the homework before they come in for the interview, uh, uh, persuasiveness, um, believability, all those things things go into the equation. You have to be, um, you have to know what you're looking for. I mean, I I say to people, um, tell me what you're really looking for. And and if the answer is, well, I just want a job. Mm. I wind the interview up very quickly because if they don't know what they're looking for, how on earth can I know what they're looking for? Yes. So you you actually have to go in with a plan to the interview process. Mm. And that might change from job to job interview, but you have to be believable in what it is you're saying. It's the same as when we get job applications. We might get seven job applications from one individual for seven different kinds of jobs. Now, this person can't be good at everything. You know, you can't be a a manager of a security firm one minute and an HR uh, uh, manager the next. so you have to actually fashion your application, whether it's verbal or written, yeah. to the job you're applying for. And again, still, still many people don't do that. Yes. And, and Jeff, from an employer's perspective, um, I mean, you've been in this industry for 50 years. Have you ever seen anything like 2020 or something similar to the situation that we're living in now when it's so hard for employers to make decisions, hiring decisions or planning decisions. Um, I am assuming that there is a great um, trepidation to set out to hire people for permanent roles when there's so little that we know about what's coming up next. I mean, when lockdown in Melbourne, we're already being prepped by the Premier about potentially not getting a a lot back on Sunday when he makes the announcement about the next steps out of lockdown. This podcast is coming out the day after that. What are you getting in terms of briefs from your clients that you can share with us on how the job candidate can uh, plan themselves and prepare themselves for what could b- p- probably be a longer stretch of unemployment, do you think? Yeah, I do think. Um, but I'm pretty optimistic that next year will, in, in spite of COVID, I think next year we'll see a, a substantial upturn in the job market. 
Why is uh, that? Talking, Why, where, where would that come from? Well, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day who's the MD of another recruitment company, a much bigger company than mine, a billion-dollar turnover. Now, a lot of that's in blue collar. But he said to me that uh, every other state but Victoria is back to pre-COVID levels. Um, and I think there's quite a bit of pent-up demand. You started out your question by saying, you know, have I seen uh, this sort of situation before? The answer is no, but I've seen pretty much pretty close to it. I've been through about six or seven uh, downturns, some more severe than others. The GFC was one. Uh, the one in um, the late 80s, the mining boom crash was another. The dot-com boom crash in 2001 was another. Uh, 71 was another. It's about every 10 years they tend to happen. And, um, you know, I, I remember I set up another business in 1990, uh, uh, a serviced office complex in South Yarra. And I thought, you know, I, I'd been paid handsomely for my original business by this English company. And so I decided I'd diversify a bit and I set up a, a 45 uh, office um, serviced office complex at the top of the Como building in South Yarra. And when we got to the end of the building part, I suddenly had a bill for $774,000, which was the cost of the um, construction. Um, and the cheapest finance I could get to lease that those premises was 21%. Now, that made an awful dent in uh, my ability to make any money out of that business. Yes. Um, but, you know, these things do turn. And I think my advice would be with uh, it will turn up um, is that you've got to be prepared and be out there and amongst it and not sitting at home on your hands hoping it will happen for you. Yes. There, there are, I mean, with... with Headhunting, as it's called these days, there are people that will be found by the headhunters. But if you're not being found by the headhunters, you've got to be out there making sure that people know about you. Yes. The, the days are long gone where you, you reply to advertisements, whether they're online or uh, in the newspaper, um, with any great hope of success. And what will happen at the end of COVID will be that there will be jobs advertised, but there'll be hundreds of applicants It'll take time to come out of COVID, whatever happens. Mm. And so if you're not being found by search firms, you have to understand that you, you need to be out there painting a picture of who you are and why you should be employed. And mm. I say to people, first of all, don't, don't send me a resume of any more than three or four pages. I'm only interested in what you've done in the last 10 years, really. I still get resumes of 20 pages where people go into huge detail or great detail about what their job was in, in 1989. I mean, it's of no relevance at all. In America now, almost all CVs are one page. One page, yes. Now, it's generally tiny printing. Yes. So you, they sort of get two pages into yeah, one. Yeah. But uh, when, we still haven't seen that to any great extent here. Mm. Uh, but, but, you have to have a cover letter that says this is what this is who I am, this is what I've done, 
this is what I'm capable of doing yep. and this is what I want to do um, and I'd like the opportunity to talk to you. Yes. And, and beyond that, you know, uh, they need to be making contact with companies that they think they're relevant to. Mm. And, and that's another part of the equation is that you might have worked in one industry for a particular amount of time, maybe 10 years, let's say, but that doesn't mean you're not going to be relevant to other industries that are like the industry you worked in. So let's say you've worked in an insurance company. You could be of interest to a financial services company or, um, you know, other financial services type uh, industry, uh, you know, mortgages, for instance, and things like that, um, that if, if you don't think about it, you don't yes. actually go and apply for jobs there. Mm. So it's important to actually understand where those jobs might be. Yes. Now, thinking about um, what we're going to do on the 27th of October, which is our Reset Your Career workshop, some of the yeah. concepts that I want to discuss with the participants then is um, uh, the idea of um, communication and narrative and how important written communication has become in the sort of work environment that we're living in now, working from home, working remotely, everything being done um, and being led by people that are not actually physically together, uh, how important it is to have mm -hmm. um, great ability to present on video um, and, and give the participants of the Reset Your Career Workshop some tips and ideas and advice on how to very quickly improve their verbal communication, their email skills, their uh, presentation skills on video. Because I've been seeing even um, interviews not go well for lack of understanding of this <laughs> and how important it is to be very well prepared for it. Um, also, the idea of uh, how to transition from sector to sector confidently. Some sectors have disappeared. Some of my clients are moving away from sectors uh, because there are no jobs for them in the sectors that they come from. They have great skills. Mm -hmm. They have... Um, they, they, they have a finance background, they have an HR background, but the sector that they were in, be it airline or whatever, is just not there. So how do you uh, transfer those skills confidently so that you can um, present yourself well? So that, that we will be discussing as well. I want to, sure. um, in the recruiter's panel that we have booked, which is our third session, and we will have some of the Slay team um, attending that and discussing and getting questions, I'd love to hear um, their take on some of my clients and followers have been telling me they're very um, un confused about the salary package this year. Some have felt that the salaries are below um, what they would have been offered last year. And I'm not surprised by that. So it will be yeah. interesting to hear from the horse's mouth, from the recruiters, if that's that's true or not. Um, 
because it could be just that people's perceptions of their value and just sort of valuing their themselves and their skills a bit higher and but blaming covid so we would have to look into that but also um people are usually when they're made redundant or they have their roles terminated they're usually um more optimistic about their ability to get a job than the reality and i'd love to hear from the recruiters uh their feedback because people often say you know i'll give myself i need to have a job within the next month or two yep. when i know that even with my best efforts as a coach <laughs> i can maybe shave off a week out of three months but um but the truth is once you reach a certain level of seniority um from middle manage up it's very hard for you to uh, you know be in between jobs for less than three months would you agree i would i'd mm -hmm. say three to six months is the norm it's the norm yeah and and people i think they probably read that but it's like having kids you always think that with you it will be different <laughs> Oh no, I'll manage just fine. I'll have two and a half kids, three kids, and I will manage just fine. And then you have your third kid and then you know all hell breaks loose. I've had four, so that's why I'm looking battered. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we will save all of those juicy questions for um the workshop, but what else do you think we can discuss? Um we should bring up uh, during the workshop what do you think people should know and and why would they register for the workshop on the 27th well i think that um i think there's a general understand a misunderstanding of how long a selection process takes i think there's a, a general misunderstanding of um, the role of the recruiter yeah. now i think a lot of recruiters bring that upon themselves that they are misunderstood because i don't think they necessarily level with the the candidates as to what the situation is but equally i would say that in many not maybe not many cases but in 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 a reasonable number of cases the recruiter is hamstrung by what the client is saying to them and they're not always telling the truth either i had an interesting and conversation with julian doherty about this Did you? Yes, about a recruitment um process going on for so long that halfway through my client and I felt like the client had forgotten what the role was. <laughs> I can and believe they were that. starting to give him feedback that didn't make sense that weren't really in the position description anymore. And we I I felt like we had to remind them at the next opportunities you know the next catch-ups and, and interviews like you know can you can you just remind them what the role actually is it seems like it's been so long they have forgotten yeah it's a it was a very big organization you know very structured lots of jobs this was a new job so everybody i think had a different understanding of what that role was every time he met some, some one of the stakeholders be it a superior or a colleague he got completely different feedback about the role well one of the big problems recruiters have in fact arguably the biggest problem in all the years i've been in the business and every survey we've done about what's important to the client 
the most important thing they say is you, that is the recruiter, understanding what we really want. Now, as I said before, in terms of the candidate being able to ask the right questions, one of the big issues for a lot of recruiters who are not well-trained or um, don't have the self-confidence to be able to ask these questions of the, the client, you, you have to be able to really probe what the client is after and who's in the decision-making process. Because um, you can quite often talk to the HR manager uh, and then you talk to the CEO or the line manager and they have a totally different take on things. Yes. And it's work, walking that, that fine line between really understanding what they're after and, and, and actually getting them. We try to get them to sign off on this is the brief. Now, in fact, we encourage quite often three, four, five people to be involved in that process, particularly for very senior jobs. And um, then our job is to put together what does the brief really look like and what is the company really all about and what are the opportunities here. It's that ability to develop a story about the company, about the job, about the people in there, about mm -hmm. the future that marks a great recruiter from a not-so-great recruiter. And equally, I think with candidates, I often say if, if a candidate can't challenge me with their questions about the job and the company and uh, what it is they're looking to do, then really should I be thinking about recommending them to somebody? And I've had lots of uh, candidates say to me, look, um, I say, well, what are you really looking for? They don't really know. Mm. And they make it obvious they don't know. And as I said earlier, if they don't know, how on earth can I know? So it's very difficult to help those people. Yeah. I once had a guy uh, only a couple of years ago who had been on big money, you know, $350,000 a year as a GM in, in a major corporation. And he'd been made redundant at the age of 56. And he came to see me and I said, well, you know, we talked about what opportunities he was looking for. He was general manager of a division of a big corporate. And he'd pretty much been in the same job for about 15 of the tw of uh, the 26 years he'd, he'd been there. And I said, you know, what are you really looking for? He didn't really have an answer. I said, what sort of money are you looking for? He said, well, I've been on 350. I wouldn't accept anything less. And I, I said to him, look, I've got to be really frank with you. I don't. I think you'll be lucky to get a job at one hundred and fifty thousand, because really, there's nothing unique about you. You know, what is your unique selling proposition when I, when you talk to a company? What are you bringing to the table that they won't already have in in spades? Now they hate hearing that sort of feedback. Yes. And not very many people will give it to them. Yes. Uh, but I think you've got to be honest with them. Yeah, I bet he took that very hardly, very. He did. Yeah. He, he did take it hard. Yeah. I mean, he virtually insinuated that I didn't know what I was talking about, but he's entitled to that opinion. Yes. But I've never heard, of, heard him turning up anywhere else, so uh, maybe I was right. It's really tricky when you've been in an organization for so long and that time means your salary has been going up and up and up 
yeah. but you haven't um, taken the time to do the professional development to keep up with the external job market, which is different from the internal advancement. You haven't changed with the market. Mm. Yes. And this guy had been in manufacturing, uh, uh, you know, as I said to him, you, you definitely will not get a job in another big corporate because they boot everybody out at 55 or thereabouts and you're mm. one of them. You might get a job running uh, an SME where maybe the owner is wanting to step back or retire. Yes. Um, but that will be your best bet. Yeah. I love when I have a client who um, comes to me in her 50s, for example, and has been in an organization for over a decade, but during that time managed to squeeze in an AICD program a Harvard executive education program so that, you know, anything like that, which at the time may sound like an amazing amount of work on top of a busy job, um, when you're made redundant. And you're bringing the kids up as well, probably. Yeah. So much better to do that professional development when you are employed. And then Mm. when you're job hunting, Getting a coach to actually coach you through the recruitment and selection process, I think, is more important because that's when you are in competition, you are an athlete, and you need all the support that you can get to shave off weeks and months by having somebody who can guide you through the the competition and help you out through the process. One of the things I think people need to understand too, Renata, is the importance of networking, even in your current job. Because if you're well-networked, if you've got a client base, let's say you're a sales manager and you've got a client base that you've serviced for the last five years and you've done a great job and then all of a sudden circumstances change and you're out of a job, if people out there who you've been looking after as customers think very highly of you, there's a very good chance one of them will want to offer you a job. They've actually seen you at work. Yes. But if you sit in your office, as a lot of sales managers do, and let the the field reps do all the work and don't get to know the customer themselves, then they're not doing what's important in terms of looking after their own future. Mm. Good that you reminded me that that's something that has been coming up a lot this year because of Uh, remote work, people working from home, how do you actually network when you're in lockdown, when you're working from home? Yeah. And we will be addressing that on the 27th for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Because there are ways of doing that that are not salesy. You know, people don't want to sell themselves, especially if they are now unemployed and they haven't connected with somebody for, sometimes is how do you actually reconnect so we'll be talking about that on the 27th very exciting i want to thank you and your team so much for coming on board to participate in the reset your career workshop with me it's very nice to be doing this together it's a pleasure yeah well we hope it's, uh, it helps a lot of people i mean there's yeah. a big market out there uh, in terms of uh, people who need help and this yes. is one way of addressing it yes it is Thank you. It's going to be exciting. I'm excited. Good. Jeff, lovely to talk to you today. 
I will let you go. You can enjoy My the pleasure. lovely weather down at the farm. I'm doing. A, I'm about to do a. Um, Uh, one and a half hours of edu education for myself uh, on positive intelligence. Oh, really? What is mm, that? Positive intelligence. Um, I know positive psychology. I've never heard of positive intelligence. Look it up on the net. I'll I talk will. to you about it when I see you. Okay, okay. But, but uh, um, it's a program that's being wound out, uh, wound out uh, via Stanford University in the States and um, – Oh, I like Stanford. It's uh, really interesting. Excellent. So I've look. had to do a whole lot of homework over the weekend. And uh, the first part of the program is tonight, and it's for about the next six or eight weeks. Oh, okay. Have I, t I, I will tell you very quickly uh, that when I was doing my Harvard program with the John Kennedy School of Government, it, it was online and it was at 2 a.m. in the morning for me and I was in my pajamas and I thought you know it's online who cares so I was wearing my pajamas middle of winter in Melbourne and it's it's Harvard style so they call on you and all 70 people then see you on screen and you have to answer the question And it was the most embarrassing moment. My first day doing my first Harvard module, and I was wearing pajamas at 2 a.m. in the morning answering a question. So just I'm not sure what time your Stanford thing is, but just letting you know, be prepared. No, well, it's on in 15 minutes. Okay. <laughs> I'll let you go then. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Renard. I did, I did the Harvard Advanced Management Program too. Oh, but that is, that is on location. That's way fancier. I went over there three years in a row for three weeks. Lovely. Ah. And uh, it was great. Exciting. Yeah. Jeff, thanks so much for your time this afternoon. Great to talk to Pleasure. you. Pleasure. Thanks. Bye, Bye. Bye. I hope you found this episode useful and that it helps your job hunting and career plans. Don't forget to subscribe and follow me on social media and on your favorite podcast app. And please join the Reset Your Career community so I can send you free tools and resources to make your career advancement more successful. See you next time!